Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today for Tuesday, September 22nd of 2020. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Feral hog trapping efforts in South Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Texas cotton and corn production are expected to be lower this year, while sorghum and soybean production should be higher. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have that story coming up. Most people are much more concerned about what the weather will do in the next couple of weeks rather than what happened in the past. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I'll explain why what happened a short time ago could have a dramatic impact on the cotton crop in today's report from the Rolling Blades. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, our daily wildlife report, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's a look at news headlines. Wild hogs continue to be a huge problem for Texas farmers and ranchers. Tom Nicoletti reports on a problem that just continues to grow. Farmers and ranchers across Texas continue their efforts in their battle against very destructive feral hogs. I spoke with South Texas cattle, grains, and cotton producer Zach Yanta recently. He is back again today to talk more about this issue. What about trapping efforts in your area? What has been the success rate of that? The trapping that people do around here, uh, I would say most of it's what I would call the traditional box-type traps, and they are not anywhere nearly as effective as the, the newer, larger traps that they'll enable a landowner or somebody that's maybe leasing the land to trap the entire sounder, which is the whole group of hogs that will work with a person's cell phone signal and a camera and where that person can go ahead and that's running the trap can see what's in there and they can bait the area. And uh, it's more of a scientific method because you don't just catch a few and then the rest of them are schooled for the rest of their lives to not be, you know, not be anywhere near that trap. So those efforts work really well. What about the idea of getting the the feral hogs out of their regular routine? Uh, Talk about that and what that means and, you know, is that effective? Getting them out of the routine, we've used blackmouth cur dogs to do that in the past. And it will typically work for a while, but the hogs are smart, extremely smart, and they're extremely adaptive. And they will return if there's food there, a food source and shelter, they'll return to an area. So they're going to be just as adaptive as the person that's trying to get rid of them is trying to get, um, you know, different methods to work on them. It's a practically never-ending situation where you just about can't win. If you don't fight them, we're going to be literally run over by them, but uh, quite expensive proposition. Yeah, not only uh, rural Texas, but urban and suburban uh, areas across the state are sustaining damages from feral hogs. Give us a a description, a visual description, Zach, of uh, maybe what uh, you have seen in grain fields, cotton fields, either your own or others in Carnes County or elsewhere, and and what type of uh, destruction the hogs can create in a very short period of time. 
Just for instance, this past spring, right after we planted corn crop, the next morning we went out to the field to continue planting the same field. We noticed that overnight there was hog damage where hogs actually went down the row of corn, freshly planted corn seeds, and they actually dig out the individual seed. If it was spaced every six or eight inches, they dig it out of the row for however long they wanted to. Sometimes it's up to 40, 50 yards in length and, and, you know, maybe several row widths wide. So we end up having to either replant or just put up with, a, a you know, an area in the field that's not going to produce anything. And it, it's just a very destructive. That is Zach Yanta in Carnes County, where he raises beef cattle, cotton, and grain crops. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas cotton and corn production is expected to be lower this year, while sorghum and soybean production should be higher. Jessica Domel takes a closer look at the numbers. Despite higher yields, Texas cotton production is expected to be down 7% this year at 5.9 million bales. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, yields this year are forecast at 736 pounds an acre. That's 158 pounds an acre higher than last year. USDA estimates 3.85 million acres of cotton will be harvested in Texas this year. That's down 27 percent from 2019. Texas corn production is forecast 3% lower this year at 276 million bushels. Statewide yields are forecast at 138 bushels an acre on average. 2 million acres of corn are expected to be harvested for grain. That's down 7% over 2019. Texas farmers are expected to produce more than 95.5 million bushels of grain sorghum this year. If realized, that is an increase of 12% over last year's harvest. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, yields are expected to average 66 bushels an acre, up 5 bushels from 2019. 1.45 million acres are expected to be harvested for grain. That's up 4% from last year. Texas soybean production is estimated at 4.26 million bushels this year, up 108% over last year. Yields are expected to average 37 bushels an acre. That's up 9 bushels an acre from 2019. Around 180,000 acres are expected to be harvested this year, up 13% from 2019. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Weather conditions have been all over the place in September, and that could have an effect on the north-central Texas cotton crop. Barry Mahler has more from the Rolling Plains. Most of you have probably heard the old saying that goes something like, this is Texas. If you don't like the weather, just hang around. It'll change. And change it did here on the Rolling Plains as an early and strong cold front took us from nearly 100-degree temperatures every day to lows in the low 50s to upper 40s in the western part of the area and even 30s in the Texas Panhandle. Now, I know you might wonder what's important about weather from a week and a half ago. Well, it could have a huge impact on our cotton crop. As refreshing as the cooler temperatures and rain over widespread areas were, the jury is still out on what effect it will have on the cotton crop that's growing. Agronomists out of Oklahoma are saying that the freezing weather should not have as large an effect on the crop as the nearly week-long cloudy and wet weather across the area. And I think we're kind of seeing the same situation here in north-central Texas. Cotton likes heat, and taking a week out of that heat cycle is probably going to make a difference. It is important to understand that September is the time that cotton is trying to finish up the fruiting stage and mature those bowls for harvest later in the fall. 
In a normal year, a bowl that's established on the plant in early September will have time to be ready for November or December harvest, and there are a lot of those small bowls on our crop now. But in order for that to happen, heat units achieved every day are vitally important as the days get shorter in duration and temperatures normally start to fall. So losing a week of weather in the 90s will slow down the process. Of course, a lot of this depends on how the rest of the month plays out, and the change is not all bad for agriculture here on the Rolling Plains as the rain will set the grain drills in motion. Reporting from the Rolling Plains of Texas, I'm Barry Muller for Farm Bureau Roundup. Sign up for round two of the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program is now underway. This round of the program picks up where the first round left off, and for cattle producers, that means it covers losses from April 15th through August 31st. Caleb McLaurin, Executive Director of Government and Public Affairs for the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, says this program helps to solve the discrepancy in CFAP 1 that paid more for cattle marketed before April 15th. If you remember in the first CFAP program, there was kind of two distinctions made. Uh, one was for animals marketed that during that window of time frame, and other, the other side of that was the inventory numbers. And so you're exactly right. You got a lot more money on those marketed animals. And if you market it on April 16th versus April 15th, uh, then you had to count those animals as inventory. And those, that inventory payout was significantly less. And CFAP 2 picks up on April 16th. What this does is it's saying, okay, look, since April 15th, that April 16th through August 31st time window, we're going to just look at inventory numbers. And so it's kind of a, a one-size-fits-all approach. It's a, it's a $55 a head across the board for all uh, cattle that you can count on your inventory, like I said, excluding breeding animals. Now, that last statement is important. CFAP2 does not include breeding animals. However, even if you're running a purebred seed stock operation, you can get payments on your younger calves. As long as the animals are not active in your breeding program, they will qualify for the $55 payment. More virus relief for farmers, ranchers, and biofuel producers is looking like a long shot before the November elections, and even some farm bill money could be in jeopardy. A possible deal between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the White House to replenish $30 billion in commodity credit corporation funds in exchange for more nutrition aid for kids fell apart last week. House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson told an AgriPulse conference that boosts the likelihood for a stripped-down continuing resolution with no add-ons to keep the government open past September 30th. It doesn't seem like it's coming together. I think it's probably most likely going to be a you know clean CR. And where these talks are going with this COVID situation, I really, you know, I just like I just had lunch with the speaker and she didn't seem like anything was going on that I could tell. American Farm Bureau's Andrew Walmsley says AFBF will continue to fight for the CCC money, which is needed for CFAP and other virus relief programs and a farm bill that had bipartisan support. We've got many farmers and ranchers who have basically agreed in contract with the government with, uh, you know, to do certain things, whether that's conservation or agreements with PLC and ARC that they've signed up for is really in jeopardy if USDA does not get basically a reimbursement to use the Commodity Credit Corporation to fund farm bill programs. Adding to the difficulty is the worst political climate in years, compounded now with the ensuing bitter fight over replacing the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
but all focus will be on the Supreme Court fight. Yeah, I mean, I think there was an expectation that CR was was the last train leaving the station, uh, most likely this week, uh, and that not, not much else was going to happen uh, until, you know, a lame duck Congress. And so I think this just cements this. Walmsley says farmers continue to farm and feed the nation during the pandemic, and he says they should not be used as a political bargaining chip, especially when it comes to routine funding of the CCC. A program that examined the coil decline in Texas is coming to an end. I'm Jessica Dolmel. I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. And a recent study evaluated some of the factors that are likely related to the development of laminitis and founder in horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd will take a closer look at those problems coming up next on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A recent study evaluated some of the factors that are related to the development of laminitis and founder in horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. Two studies were recently performed concerning the development of laminitis and founder in horses. The first study examined risk factors of over 500 horses for development of pasture and hormonal-related laminitis. The hormonal-related laminitis is due to PPID, or so-called Cushing's disease, that is due to an abnormality of the horse's pituitary gland. The study determined that one risk factor for laminitis was horses with a body condition score of 7 or greater when 5 to 6 is normal. Also, horses with generalized or even just pockets of fat in various areas were susceptible to laminitis. Horses with an abnormality of the pituitary gland called PPID or Cushing's disease were susceptible to laminitis as well as horses treated with glucocorticoids, commonly called cortisone, within the last 30 days prior to developing the laminitis. So to prevent laminitis, it is important to not allow your horses to become overweight, be very careful treating them with glucocorticoids, and have an older horse with symptoms tested for PPID or Cushing's disease. The next study looked at the effect of insulin on the structural integrity of the hoof laminae. The hoof laminae are the structures that hold the coffin bone in place and attach it to the hoof wall, and these are the structures that fail in laminitis. It was shown that the laminar attachment of the bone to the hoof wall can be weakened by the presence of increased insulin. Insulin is increased in horses with metabolic syndrome and in some horses with Cushing's disease or PPID. And this indicates high levels of insulin in these conditions are at least part of the cause of laminitis. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A program that examines the quail decline in Texas is coming to an end. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. After working for more than six years to restore healthy quail populations in Texas, the Reversing the Quail Decline initiative will end this year. The announcement came as the initiative announced the launch of a reference guide for all students of quail, the RQDI sourcebook. 
The September newsletter said the release of the book is bittersweet as it marks the end of the RQDI grant and the initiative. RQDI examined potential causes of quail decline, advocated for stewardship of quail habitat, and promoted opportunities for quail to thrive in Texas. The initiative is a collaborative effort with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and Research through the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute. After the first of the year, the RQDI will no longer provide a monthly e-newsletter, the RQDI Facebook page will no longer be actively managed, and the Texas Quail Index will cease to be a statewide effort. The resources made possible through the RQDI will remain available on the Natural Resources Institute website. The RQDI Sourcebook, which celebrates six years of RQDI with overviews of major programs, research, and resources, is now available online and is free to the public. A link to view the Sourcebook is available on nri.tamu.edu backslash blog. That is the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute website. Again, nri.tamu.edu Click on the link at the top of the page that says Journal. Scroll down to the link that says News from Reversing the Quail Decline. Again, that is nri.tamu.edu. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It was a mostly lower day for the cattle market today while the cotton market closed mixed. We'll take a look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, and energy markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. We saw another lower day in the cattle futures market today. Just about all of our cattle contracts closing in the red. We'll start off with live cattle where October was down 22 cents, 106.47. December down 42, 110.17. February live cattle down $1.5, 114.20. Feeder market lower on all except that nearby September. And, of course, there's not a lot of volume on that here as we're in September. It was up 62 cents, 141.70. October feeders down $1.62 at 140.62. November feeders down $1.55. 141.17. Cash market for fed cattle still quiet here on Tuesday. Not a whole lot of bids out there either. We do know feedlots are hoping to hold on to at least some of the gains that we saw last week. However, they're not getting a whole lot of help with this futures market dropping here on both Monday and today. Again, last week we had fed cattle ranging anywhere from 104 to 106, depending on where in the country you were. Boxed beef prices are mixed. Choice was down 92 cents at 215.30. Select up 80, 206.62. 
Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Nixon Livestock Commission, Nixon, Texas, 1,022 heads sold yesterday. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers brought a dollar forty to a dollar ninety-five. Three to four weight steers, a dollar thirty-nine to a dollar eighty-eight. Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar twenty-six to a dollar eighty. Five to six weight steers, a dollar fifteen to a dollar fifty-eight. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar eight to a dollar thirty-nine. And the heavyweight seven to eight weight steers brought a dollar two to a dollar thirty-three a pound. Slaughter cows range from twenty-five to sixty-nine cents. Slaughter bulls seventy-six to eighty-nine. Stocker cows five fifty to a thousand dollars a head. Cow calf pairs nine twenty-five to eleven ninety a pair. Live Oak Livestock Auction, Three Rivers, Texas, eighteen hundred and two heads sold yesterday. Their trend was steady to lower. Two to three weight steers, a dollar thirty-two to a dollar eighty-eight. Three to four weights, a dollar twenty-nine to a dollar eighty-four. Four to five hundred pound steers, a dollar twenty-four to a dollar eighty-two. Five to six weights, a dollar twenty to a dollar fifty-four. Six to seven weight steers, a dollar eight to a dollar thirty-six. And the seven to eight hundred pounders brought a dollar two to a dollar thirty-two a pound. Slaughter cows twenty-eight to sixty cents. Slaughter bulls sixty-two to eighty-four. Stocker cows five fifty to ten fifty a head. Cow calf pairs seven twenty to twelve hundred dollars a pair. Now let's step back over to the board. We'll check lean hog futures. Quite a day up over two dollars on our nearby contracts. October lean hogs up two seventy-two at sixty-eight thirty-two. December up 255, 6410. October class 3 milk down $1.22 at 1843 a hundredweight. The cotton market ended up closing mostly higher. The cotton market still trying to digest a lot of this news with this weather. You got Hurricane Sally causing damage last week, still waiting on results from that. Tropical Storm Beta now moving through here in Texas. And believe it or not, there's a couple of potential storms brewing out there that the market's keeping an eye on. We ended up closing with the October contract up 10 points, 63.84. December cotton up 30, 65.54. Kansas City wheat closing higher after taking a big drop yesterday. New crop July wheat up four and a quarter, 5.15 and three quarters. December corn down a half, 369 and a quarter. In the energy markets, October natural gas unchanged at $1.83. October crude oil up 24 cents, 39.55 a barrel. Well, that is a look at today's market activity, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back here tomorrow, just like always, to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'll see you tomorrow on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.